Hey everyone, I just wanted to announce the winners of the Marvin Monkey giveaway. Thank you to everyone who sent answers in. Japan had the most entries, with Vietnam close behind. All of the winners have been emailed already, and we are coordinating the shipping of their Marvin Monkey stuffed animals. For week one, we had the question, what is the name of Maya's school in Vietnam? The answer is True Colors, which you can hear in podcast number 23. The winner of this week was Miss Tracy, a teacher in Vietnam. For week two, we had the question, what unit four material is Paula's favorite? The answer is The Spider's Web, which you can hear in podcast number four. The winner of this week was Maiko Kawamata in Japan. For week three, we had the question, what does Will use to help his students move from their school to the grapeseed classroom that is a 10-minute walk away? The answer was a rope, which you can hear in podcast number 39. The random number gods were on Will's side, and he was luckily chosen as the winner. For week four, we had the question, what has been your favorite podcast so far and why? Winners for this week were Aaron in Tokyo, Japan, and a parent in Vietnam who also sent in a question and talked about her daughter, Daisy. Congrats! We'll be featuring a lot of the notes that came in during this contest in an upcoming mail carrier episode, so stay tuned for that in our future episodes. Thanks again! Hello and welcome to the Grapeseed Official Podcast. We have a new series for you today. I'm sure that you have noticed in a lot of our interviews the name Mason Academy mentioned. If you have been teaching Grapeseed for a long time, you might also remember that some of the materials were named after Mason in the past. Mason Academy is a wonderful school in Sendai, Japan, with two large campuses. They are a kindergarten during the day, and then in the afternoons and evenings, elementary school students and even older students come for Grapeseed lessons. Locally and even nationally, they are known for their high-quality education and their beautiful campuses. Mason teachers are also very carefully chosen and are very dedicated individuals. In this new podcast series, we will talk with different Mason staff members, sometimes teachers, sometimes management. There will be practical teaching ideas shared, as well as inspiring stories. Through this series, you will certainly be able to feel what makes this place so special. First up on this series, we have Patricia Bermudez, who I have known over many years. She's a great teacher and a wonderful person. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Patricia. Thank you, Adam. Hello there, everyone. So let's start with some basic information. How long have you been at Mason and what is your current role and what are you teaching right now? Okay, so I've been at Mason since 2013 Ooh. and I work for the premier school department at Mason. So it's basically where the children are immersed in the English language. And when we teach kindergarten, it's different from other schools or other departments because the children come there with where they have to speak English for the most part with only like a 40 minute Japanese class. And so I teach the five and six year old children there. Yeah. So just for clarity, Mason has two different programs. One kind of the normal course for kids where they go and it's mostly Japanese for them throughout the whole day with one 40-minute Gravesy lesson, but Premier, which you teach, it's the kind of the opposite, where kids have yeah. English all day with the one Japanese lesson. Yes, and with that too, we have this 
center-based learning. So we call them stations. It's basically for 40 minutes where the children are have small group activities basically to reinforce the grape seed curriculum. So in those center-based learning, we have stations like listening where they listen to the unit that we're learning. We have writing, we have games where they have to use the language to be able to communicate with their peers. So this is another 40-minute session kind of outside of the normal yeah. grape seed time. Yes. So it's basically just for just the extra English exposure. I hear you also teach seventh grade students now? Yes, I do. The fun thing is that because I've been here for almost eight years, the seventh grade students were my first kindergarten kids. Oh, wow. So you have the memories going all the way back. Oh, yeah. It's been really fun to just, you know, see them from when they were little up to now where they can actually like express their opinions. Yeah, Yeah. and seeing them grow and mature, it's really a special thing. I know that when I was teaching junior high school up in the northern part of Japan, I would see my students many years later after they graduated high school, and it it was just amazing to see how they've matured and how far they've come. So I can imagine that for you as well, starting with such little ones all the way up to seventh grade now. Yeah, and it's also been nice to just see them grow in the years that I've been here, like Mm -hmm. just seeing how how their language has improved from, you know, like the all Japanese up to the, you can, them speaking in simple sentences and now being able to just share their thoughts and feelings and just even just giving their thoughts and feelings without me asking them, which is really good too. Yeah. So basically when you get your students in the beginning, they, they're typically Japanese born kids and Japanese home environment. So they come to Mason Immersion School with very little English usually, and you have to kind of build that from the ground up, right? Yes. Perfect. So do you have a favorite grapeseed material? My favorite is Unit 10. Okay, Unit Um, 10? Yeah, it's the one with the colors and the time Mm -hmm. and the shapes. And it's just because I have a background in elementary education and um, special education back in America. So I always loved teaching science and math. And in Unit 10, you're able to integrate a lot of things like with shapes. You're able to talk about math or like being able to tell time or even social studies. Rude Rude Kitty. To be honest, I didn't like Rude Rude Kitty at first. (laughs) But, you know, like once I... Once I started looking at it from a different perspective, I was able to, you know, be able to teach my kids that, you know, like the difference between mansions in America is different from like mansions here in Japan, because mansions here in Japan basically means like you living in a in apartment building, yeah. an apartment building. But in America, you have all like the lavish houses with the pool and the tennis court. And so I was able to just show them the difference when we say mansion, you know, like in the song, it doesn't mean like the mansions that they live at, or even then like the difference between a city and a the city cat and the country cat, mm-hmm. you know, being able to tell them the difference between, you know, a city and a countryside. So I like that about that unit. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you bring up that material in particular. We had a teacher from Osaka on, recently who mentioned that exact same thing that he initially didn't like rude rude kitty when he started teaching it 
And then as he taught it, he really started to grow to like it. And he mentioned that specific mansion example as well with that language <laughs> yeah. difference between English and Japanese. So it's amazing how, how similar your experiences are. Yeah, it's really fun. Like I, like I said, when I read through the, the objectives at first, I was just like, why is this here? Like, just <laughs> and it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. But then my kids started, my kids loved it last year. And so they enjoyed singing it. They enjoyed like the sassy parts. And because of that, like that inspired me to also like, like it because they're, for me, it was like, well, there's something in that song that they like. So what is it? And what can I do to make them like it even more? Yeah, exactly. And that, that takes like some dedication from you as the teacher, because your initial reaction is, okay, I don't really see how this fits in the curriculum. I don't really understand this, but I'm going to give it a fair shot anyway and try to teach it to the best of my ability. So yeah. But yeah. And a similar point that I think I made in that podcast as well, that you're not always going to like every material in Grapeseed, but even if you uh-huh. don't personally like something, bringing your best effort and seeing the reaction of your kids might inspire you to like something more that you wouldn't like originally. Oh yeah. And it's definitely your attitude too, because the kids can pick up on, on whether you like something or you don't. So so if they can sense that you like it, then they'll be more into it. And then mm. if they sense that you're bored with it, then it's like, why should I even like this? Because if my teacher doesn't like it, then why should I like it? So Absolutely. Yeah. So let's fine. start getting into Mason and, and what makes Mason really special. So one of the, the big things, this isn't the only thing, obviously, but the class decoration and the amount of effort teachers put into decorating their classrooms is really important big at Mason. So can you talk a little bit about what you currently have on your board and what your favorite design was maybe up until now? Okay, so um, for kindergarten, for Premier School Kindergarten, we have, we change our outside board. So it's, so in our classrooms, like we have that outside, like the outside wall where we decorated and we decorated at least six to eight times a year. Wow. And so if you do your math, I've probably done about 56 boards already, 56 plus, because I like adding, like I like changing my boards during Christmas and graduation too. Mm-hmm. So um, we decorate our things or even the inside of our classroom because we want to showcase our students' work mm-hmm. because for parents like they spend a lot of money to send their kids in our classes so they want whenever they come in for like an open house they want to be able to see how much their children you know like are working hard um so that's really a lot on my board like that's what I put up on my board and my walls I try to fill it up um for the outside boards I Right now, I have a frozen theme board because for kindergarten, we have field day, which is kind of like the undokai. undokai. Yeah, sports day. Yeah. yeah, sports day in um, Japanese classes. But for kindergarten, we have themes for every field day that we have. So this year, it was frozen too. So I had the kids make their own snowflakes and we used shaving cream and they mixed two colors 
two color paint together and mm-hmm. then they made their own snowflakes. Uh, my favorite, my favorite words, I have a lot. Um, <laughs> well, you have, have made, you have made 50 up to this point. So I'm sure you have yeah. a few that you really like. Oh yeah. I have one for every unit because I tend to um, make boards based on the unit. So for unit seven, a favorite word of mine is a puzzle. It's a puzzle board. And so okay. I made, I had my kids have um, decorate one puzzle piece with Japanese crayons and then we and then they painted it with liquid watercolors and then I put them all together and it made a big puzzle so that's a unit seven board that I had for unit eight I had my kids make silhouettes for guess who and mm-hmm. so they wrote down, try, um, who am I? Try to guess if you can. And then they wrote their own idea. Like, I have a brother named so-and-so, or I like soccer. Now, who do you think I am? And when you flip up that board, you know, that piece, it had their picture. Oh, it's cute. Um, yeah, I like that. I do it every year. But this year, I put it in my inside my classroom on my cupboards because other kids, like, they tend to flip it up all the time. So it would ruin my, or it would ruin the kids' work. And so I tended to just put them inside the classroom. Another thing that I liked for unit eight, for one of my unit eight boards was a penguin town. And so I had my kids with different kinds of pink paper, make their own houses. And then they also made their own cars using like small paper plates that they, that I just cut up in half. And then they just painted their own cars. They cut up their wheels and their windows. And it was really fun. Yeah. And I really like that you're getting the kids involved and help decorating your room. So some teachers might not have this opportunity. They might just see their kids for their 40 minute lesson and be done. But if you do have this extra time with your kids, taking that time and doing little arts and crafts things like this can, and using those arts and crafts to decorate your room can also help give the kids a sense of ownership of the room and give them a little bit more buy-in to what they're doing. So definitely highly recommended. Oh yeah. And the kids, like when their parents are there, they're really proud of their work. So even if I don't tell them to like show their parents, like they'll, they'll, you know, bring their parents to like their work and they'll try to like show them that it's theirs and they have that proprietorship over it. Yeah. And especially what you're talking about with open houses there. When parents come to watch classes, we have to remember that a lot of times parents don't understand English. So they might not understand the nuances of all the great teaching that you're doing while they're watching your lesson, but what are they going to be looking for? They're going to be looking for kind of proof of the value of the education that they're getting. And they also want to see how much the teacher cares and how can you show that you care as a teacher to parents that don't really understand the language. You can do that through really putting energy into your decorations like Patricia's talking about or keeping a really clean classroom, neat and organized. All those little things you can do will show parents that that might not understand the language that this teacher really cares about my kid and doing the best job that they can do. Yes. Or even then, if you don't have time, like I like to take pictures of my kids and even if I can't post it on like social media, I like to print it out and I just like to post it around the classroom so that when the parents come, then they see, okay, my child likes to play with this other friend. Oh, my child is having fun 
you know, doing, you know, going on the slide. So even just like little pictures that you can just like put around the classroom too, that's, that's all, that also is nice for the parents to look at. Mm, perfect. Yeah. That's definitely highly recommended as well. But if you're going to do that as a teacher, just check with your school make sure that your management is okay with what you're doing because some schools are more sensitive about privacy than other schools and they might not want you taking pictures. But if you can, definitely do it because that's another great idea that Patricia just mentioned there. So can you share with us an aha or a light bulb story or two where students were able to apply the language they were learning in the materials? Sure. For Unit 7, we have that vocab a card like first next and last that goes mm -hmm. in line with fun in the snow mm -hmm. and so what I like to do in the morning because I you know because I have the kids for the whole day I like to go through the schedule with them and so I try to use those words to be able to teach them this schedule and so first I would model them I would model it with first we'll have stations next we'll do next we'll have Japanese class then so-and-so, and then go through the schedule, and last, we'll have dismissal time. And it because I do it every day with the kids, they've learned to just get to know the schedule, get to know like the terms like first, next, and last. And now, like because in kindergarten, too, there are a lot of changes, lots of last-minute like hiccups, yep. weather changes, that when I change things up, my kids are always like, but Ms. Patricia, on the schedule, it says we'll have this after that. So why is it like this? And it's an aha or a light bulb story in a sense that they're actually able to ask the whys. Like, why Why did you change it? What? Because this is not what it says. It says this is after this. Or why did you say this when it's supposed to be this? And so it's really nice to just see that it, that they're able to make a connection and they're able to, you know, vocalize their thoughts. Mm, definitely. Can you give us one more? Um, sure. So I had one child. Like, it was really cute. Um, she had some origami paper and we were talk we were learning the purple salt like we were learning the purple unit and so she got three pieces of origami she got a blue a red and a purple one and she just made kind of like an a bag out of the origami paper so one side was the blue one was a blue sticking out and the other side was the red and then she came up to me and she was like miss patricia purple purple mix red and blue mix it mix it it's fun to do and that she pulled out the purple paper like from you know the bag and i thought it was really cute wow that is really cute like applying that language and that knowledge and doing it kind of in a natural sense like that that's great so how do you prepare to teach your lessons well first i think i i think of my objective for the day and when i do that i look at the pieces and i try to look at what i can pull out from each piece and at the same time, I like to, I like to incorporate a lot of like visual and like auditory and like kinesthetic and and like tactile activities to go along with that because I teach, you know, I teach five and six year olds, so I have to be planning for like more active things that will keep them focused. Mm -hmm. So, what keeps you? 
motivated at Mason? You've said you've been there since, what, 2013? You've been there many years now. Obviously, you're still motivated and dedicated. So what keeps you that motivated to stay there? The children. The children, it's like, yeah, the children, because it's really nice to see how much growth they'll have in a year. It's also nice to see that, you know, like, it's nice to see how you're able to play a part in their, in the changes that, that they'll undergo in the year. It's not just like the language, but it's also like the behavior or like just the social aspects. So I also like the connections that I've had with their families and their little siblings. And sometimes I just feel like I want to be there to be, you know, their siblings teacher. Mm. Um, because, you know, they've also become my students in a sense. And then at the same time, I also like, I like being able to help new teachers too. Mm -hmm. And I like seeing my ideas like used by other teachers and seeing that my ideas also work with other kids. Awesome. So another thing that's really great about Mason are the different activities and the different holidays that they have throughout the year that kind of become these really big events. So what are your favorites? I like the 100th day of school. And it's like a celebration that they have in America where they count, you know, how many days they've had at school. It, it's part of the curriculum that they have there that we also use at Mason, like just the counting to 100. And so for the 100th day of school, pre-COVID, uh, pre-COVID days, like my partners, my team partners and I would dress up as old ladies. And so I have, like, I would put up, you know, some powder on my hair. I learned the art of making myself look like a grandma. So I, <laughs> I know how to put the wrinkles on, like the makeup. I have my grandma costume. Um, one of our bosses, he made a cane for me. <laughs> so out of the pipe cleaner he just wrapped it with with um brown electric tape and i use that every year as my cane and then we do a lot of like hunt like counting by tens or counting from a hundred we also have them make their hundred day snacks so i would pick different snacks snacks that they like and they would count 100 of those snacks that they can eat and they can take home. We make a necklace out of 100 beads. And so wow. it really teaches them to count. And it's a really fun day. We have a 100th day parade. We play their favorite games from the first 100 days of school. It's, it's a really fun event. And then I also like summer camp. So for summer camps, um, that's the K-5 camp is the first time that the kindergarten kids are going to be sleeping over at school. So we have the children or pre-COVID. We would have all the K-5 kids from both campuses um, together in one campus. We have really fun activities like water play and then we have different crafts. Um, so we put things in those pet bottles and the kids like it because they get to put like different things like beads and glitters and sequins and then they fill it up with water they choose their favorite colors and they can just like shake it and that's their bottle art we also decorate our own t-shirts and then we go on a treasure hunt to find our treasure because each kid gets to take home a treasure box where 
where they have a lot of treats like snacks and candy and different toys and other fun stuff. Yeah, it's really fun. And you can see the joy in their faces whenever they get to open their treasure boxes and they get to play with those things. Um, and then after that, we have dinner and then we go to a we go together again where we roast marshmallows, we have a campfire, and then we watch some fireworks, and then we go to sleep in in one of the halls at school. And then the next day we have breakfast together, and then we have water play. We have we do the watermelon bus, which is like a pinata, but with watermelon. And then we just go back, take a picture, and then the day's done. Wow. So those are my two favorite things. It sounds like a yeah. lot of fun, but I can imagine that after the camp, once all the kids go home, you guys must all be very exhausted. Oh, yeah. I like. I usually take like a three-hour nap after that. Oh, <laughs> I don't doubt it. It sounds like a lot of work, but I can definitely see, especially when you have like the, the treasure hunt and kids are going to find those treasure boxes, that what a special, memorable experience it is for them when they find it and take it home and get to show their parents and all that. Oh, yeah. So tell us about a student in your teaching experience who was a little bit challenging. So what did you do to help them be successful? I have a lot of children who are like that, but um, <laughs> I have one. <laughs> Let's be honest about this. But um, one, he I used to call him like the No David in my class. I, have you heard of that book? No. Okay, so it's this book. Um, I forgot the name of the author, but but basically in that book, with every page, it just shows that text, like, no David, and then there's a picture of David doing everything that he's not supposed to do. So when you get to the end of the book, you'll say, oh, I love you, David, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's really sweet. It, the reason why, in my mind, I called him that, it's because... A lot of the things that the child did was the, please don't do this, don't do that, no. As in like every day, I'd always be like, please don't do that, stop. But then at the end of the day, it's always like, I love you, you're so sweet. Yeah, so he was always in trouble for making bad choices. He was really stubborn and he would always get angry at me or other teachers or his friends whenever you know, he got in trouble. He'll always just be like, no, he'll always just say no to you. Mm -hmm. But he was really smart and he really is very kind and helpful. So what I did was just, I just got to know his strengths, like his interests. And I really just talked to him a lot. Um, I was, I still was very firm and, and I still kept saying no, but then I also, told him the whys of why I said no. So if I felt like he wasn't understanding me with great detail, I would always ask someone to translate it for me in Japanese so that he really understood what I was trying to say. And so because I was really patient and I gave a lot of praise whenever he did the right thing, he has gotten a lot better. He still is very stubborn, but I think that He's gotten a lot better when it comes to listening. Um, obviously, it's not perfect, but, you know, it. Rome wasn't built in a day, so he's gotten a lot better. But that only came because of all the dedication and the extra effort that you put into deepening the relationship you had with him to help make him understand kind of your side of things as well. I think with a lot of 
classroom management, we do hear sometimes a lot of teachers just say, oh, well, that kid, he's the naughty kid in class. And that's that might be true from the position that they're in, but it's not going to get any better unless you make that extra effort and deepen that relationship with the student. If you just write them off as being naughty and then just constantly punishing or enforcing the rules in your classroom, it's not really going to get any better over time. Taking that extra time and that extra effort to really build that bridge, like with your No David student there, that helps you in the long run. It's definitely a lot of time investment in the beginning, but it pays off. Yeah, and it's also a lot of self-reflection because what I would do too is after I discipline him, I would always like think to myself like, why it? Why was he acting out? Like, why? Why was he doing that? And was my attitude towards him like, was that a factor in his acting out? Because sometimes, like, when you have that negative attitude about a child, the child, the child can feel it. Like, they really Absolutely. can. They can really sense it. And so, if the child feels like you don't like him, then it's like, well, why am I going to try for you? You don't like me. So, so when they feel like okay, this teacher cares a lot, then I'm going to try my best. And it's usually like the harder, you know, like the more stubborn kids that need the extra love and the extra patience. So just remember that too, that, you know, they're the ones that will need the most out of you. Yeah. So try to have that, you know, also try to be reflective on your attitude towards the child. See what you can do. Mm make this situation better. Absolutely. Yeah. Self-reflection is key. And if you can, the more objectively you can self-reflect, the better. And if you feel like maybe you're still not quite understanding the situation, this is a really good point where you can take a video of your own teaching and watch it later, because that will be the most objective thing possible. You might be watching a video and you notice that your, your own No David student when they act out on a particular day, you're frowning and sighing and really your body language is negative. So in that case, of course, the student's going to feel like you don't care. You're not on their side. So they'll continue to act out. So whether it's just self-reflecting objectively or taking a video of your own lesson and watching it later, try to pinpoint things like Patricia saying, things that you can do to better your own stance and better your own approach. So let's get you out on this last question here. So what advice do you have for other grape seed teachers? Okay, I have a lot. Okay, okay um, here we go. Strap in, everybody. I'll try to limit it to like bullet points or something. Um, but really, <laughs> the, main, the main thing too is, you know, piggybacking off on what was said earlier is that you are your own thoughts. So if you always think the worst out of your children, if you think the worst out of like your class, then your class will really be negative. But if you have that mindset of, okay, it's hard. Okay. They're challenging, but at the end of this year, they will be better. Then, you know, the more you think that it will be better then the better it will be by the end of the year. And with that, like, get to know your students and really form your relationships with them because if they like you, they'll really work harder for you. Mm. And if they don't like you, then try to find ways for them to like you. Exactly. Because, <laughs> because they should 
you know, like you're their teacher, you're with them for the year, you're with them for however long you are going to be with them for. So, so it's either you, you have a good year or a bad year. And obviously you want a good year because you want them to learn. And just for your own sanity, you also want to have a good day every day. Yeah. So just Um, jumping in here real quick. One thing that I would encourage listeners to do is to go back and listen to podcast 41 that we did on classroom management and building that relationship with your students. It sounds like what Patricia is saying now about you. If your kids like you, then it's going to be good. If your kids don't like you, it's not going to be good. It sounds really simple and it is conceptually, but there's a lot you can do as a teacher. So we talk about that a lot in that podcast number 41. So I would encourage you, if you're struggling with this, if you feel like your students may not like you that much, go and listen to that podcast if you haven't already and really think about it, self-reflect on it, take some of those pointers there and improve on your own approach. Sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Um, Another thing too is um, know that each child is different and that they learn differently and they have their different strengths. So I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Howard Gardner. Um, Mm. He's a psychologist and he's very known in the education field. And he talked about the multiple intelligence theory. So he basically said that your intelligence isn't measured by just taking a test. Because obviously, like, if you have a bad day, then you'll have a bad, a bad score. Mm-hmm. But each child has different strengths. So some of them are good with, some of them are very good, you know, learn better visually. Some of them are good with auditory skills. Some of them are good with with um, arts, with sports, with social skills. And so there are about 11 intelligences that are there in his theory connected with what I said earlier. Like just get to know your children and know what their strengths and what their intelligence is and be able to incorporate that in your lesson. So have some sort of movement, like kinesthetic, like head, shoulders, knees, and toes when you're sounding out words for word assembly. So, ah, can, like, just something to get them moving because each kid learns differently and each kid will benefit from a variety of teaching strategies in the 40 minutes or however long of a class you'll have. Mm-hmm. And then always be flexible with your lessons. So I always say it's better to over plan than under plan because if one thing doesn't work, then you'll always have something to fall back on. And then the last thing is that bottom breaks are essential to teaching, especially when you teach little children. And if you don't give them any something like that, then you're going to lose the attention and the focus. So have some kind of action activity planned in each lesson that you have. Yeah, those are great points, especially those last two about bottom breaks and being prepared and flexible because teachers have to follow their lesson plans, but that doesn't mean you're you're imprisoned by it. You can like we have mentioned I think in the master teacher series on the the teacher training site if you have a specific need on a given day to switch maybe a song and a story Like you're going to end your class with singing a song and then telling a story, but your kids are really losing focus. Maybe you do the story first. Having that little flexibility to address the needs of your class, but also sticking with the lesson plans will set you up for success. 
That is so much great advice. So thank you so much again for joining the podcast, Patricia. It was fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. So as always, everybody, thank you for listening and good luck in the classroom. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. I'm sad to say goodbye. It was a good day, but now I will say goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.